0: Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Join me as we connect dreams to reality by chatting with innovators from around Washington, DC. Our show is proudly sponsored by the DC chapter of the Entrepreneurs' Organization. This is the Impactful Leadership Show. Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. I'm the CEO of Blackburn Capital Advisors. Today's guest is the founder and CEO of Delve, a Washington-based competitive intelligence and risk advisory firm that helps highly scrutinized sectors anticipate and mitigate public affairs issues. He's been recognized by Politico as a policy ace and one of the best-known policy researchers in DC by the Daily Beast. He works directly with the White House, the State Department, major presidential campaigns, and national political organizations. And as a member of the Forbes Business Council and a leader in the entrepreneurs organization <laughs> please welcome Jeff Berkowitz. Thanks for having me, Greg. It's great to have you here. It's nice to see you again. Yeah. Always. So my podcast is uh focused on leadership and my favorite question to ask my guests is Jeff tell me about some misconceptions in leadership.
1: I think one of the biggest misconceptions in leadership is what I call the you know the circle of competence. And I think a lot of folks work in um, wh- what's the outer circle of competence of what they think they know, rather than the inner circle of competence, what they actually know. And that that can lead to a huge amount of um, disagreements with staff and team members and clients about what's going on. It can um, mean that you're um, you know, your assumption, what you thought you knew was actually a a flawed assumption. Um, and I think, you know, as a leader, you have to be willing to recognize what you really know and what you still need to learn.
0: That's very insightful. Um, digging a little bit deeper, talk to us about how a leader can recognize that, you know, it's, you know, we've all run businesses and we are hard chargers and you get to some point in your leadership path, your career path, when does that light bulb come on to say, you know what? I don't know everything.
1: That's a, it's a great question. I mean, so I, my, my career has been as a researcher. So my default has always been that I don't, don't know, but I can probably find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually our, our, motto, you know, here at Delve is, you know, what you don't know can hurt you. Um, so we kind of start from that as a, a first principle um, I like your call out to one of our, our core values digging deeper. <laughs> um, you know, so I think it's, it, but it's really important for leaders to, to realize that it's okay to not know. Um, in fact, one of the most powerful things that you can do as a leader is ask questions, um, you know, um, and to really dive in on, well, what do, what do we know that's a fact? What do we think we know, but we don't, we haven't proven yet um you know, i think there you know, there's the the false attribution error that a lot of folks fall into where you know some you know we tend to if something goes, if we do something wrong or make a mistake it's because of external factors but with other people we you know we think it's some sort of internal factor of a flaw with them um, you know oh they're they're just trying to cheat me or they're just you know they're lazy or whatever uh, they deal with external factors too so being able to to know enough to step back and say, what do I actually know and what are the possibilities and how do I figure out what's really going on is an important thing for a, a leader to be able to do.
0: And it, it sounds, Jeff, that you impose that on your team as well as part of the Delve culture. So talk to us about when a new member comes onto your team or as your team is developing, how do you instill that mindset in throughout your organization.
1: Yeah. So we're very intentional with our onboarding. In fact, most of our employees uh, start in our associate training program. It's a three month uh, program where they get trained how to do the kind of research we do through the lens of public affairs and to really understand how do you collect, analyze, and, and then um, summarize, synthesize the information that's important to our clients. And, before we dive into any of that on the first day, you know, the first conversation we have with them is around personality type. You know, we have them do Myers Briggs uh, before they start and we sit down, have a share like, so what resonated with you about, you know, what the test said about your personality type? What didn't make sense? You know, we share about how we were, you know, their manager, myself, whoever they're going to be working with share as well. And we talk about, you know, what are, what are examples of, Um, where you were able to do some of your best work that you're most proud of, where where are places where it was harder for you. So we really learn how do people approach work? How do they, you know, how are they successful? And really make sure that we're connecting and understanding who they are and how they operate um, to avoid some of those misunderstandings down the road. It's only then that we start talking about what it is that we actually do, who we do it for, and all the rest of, of that. Um, but in that first day introduction, we do talk about the circle of competence, um, and, and being, and needing to be very humble about, um, you know, there's what you think, you know, and then there's what you actually know. And our goal at Delve is to keep expanding, uh, both of those circles wider.
0: Certainly, certainly. So talk to me about where that concept came up for, like, how'd that come up for you? Is it something that You just woke up with one day, and it's like, oh, the circle of competence, and what you know, and actually know, and walk us through that journey, that journey of
1: discovery. Yeah. So I read it. I read it in a book, and I can't. And I'm afraid to say that I don't remember uh, what book it was. uh, you know, that I I stole it from. Um, You know, that's the problem with reading a lot of business books. (laughs) They all start stringing together. But I read it, and and it really resonated with me because, um, you know, it. Yeah, I'm really, you know, as researchers, you know, we're, we're constantly thinking about what else, what else can we learn and know? Uh, But I think a lot of folks, you know, they, they think they know something, so it must be true. And it, it causes a lot of tricks, you know, challenges. We see it a lot of times with clients who are convinced, you know, if if a client comes to us and they're convinced they already know what is true and who's behind, you know, whatever public affairs issue they're having or, or, um, you know, negative news stories or whatever, if we don't find, you know, they're waiting for us to prove them true versus finding out just what what the reality is. And it can make it much more difficult for them to then be able to deal with what the reality is. And if you're going to be successful in business, whether it's overcoming a public affairs challenge, it's, you know, making sales and scaling the business, you know, uh, growing your team, you got to deal in reality, not, uh, you know, not the theoretical.
0: Certainly. Yeah. And I could imagine your clients that come to you and even, as you lead your team, right? You have that research bias, right? You've got an opinion or a hunch before you even get started. How do you handle that with a client if they come in and say, you know what, Jeff, this is what I believe and prove me right. (laughs) And all of a sudden you want to do what's best for the client and you also want to be hired again. And so talk to us about that, that balance.
1: So we're, you know, we just lay out here's what we know, here's what we're able to confirm, you know, here's what's in the public record, here's the information that's there, here are the gaps, here's ways we can close those gaps, um, you know, and, and, you know, they can, some of, sometimes they appreciate that, that approach, sometimes they, they don't, um, you know, but I think, I think um, over the long term, we get a reputation of, folks know that if we say something is, is you know, these are the facts and it's the reality, people know they can, they can trust that and they can um, go and make that case, whether it's with policymakers or other stakeholders, um, they don't have to have doubt. And I'd rather have that long-term trust and confidence and reputation than short-term, um, you know, assurances for, for one client. Fair enough.
0: So shifting the topic just slightly to decision-making there's, for me, when I'm doing research or in discovery mode, it's usually in anticipation or hope to make a decision. At what point in time, if you've got an answer for this, it'd be wonderful, but at what point in time do you draw the line and you say, enough research, I got to make a decision with what I've got, or you got to publish this to the client, or I got to, because you could kind of get into this never-ending circle.
1: Yeah, you, there's always more research you can do. There's always more information you could have to before you make a decision. Um, you, you have to, you know, and that was that's something I struggled with, uh, you know, with the the firm. You know, there's, you know, um, needing some of our strategic advisors kind of push it, like you you know enough. Um, and so I think you know you have to. I sort of look at it through two lenses. The first is, you know, is the decision reversible? Right. You know, or is it a permanent, you know, once we, once we cross that Rubicon, it's going to be very difficult or impossible to, to come back. Um, Or is it something where we could forge ahead with a, a strategy without all the information? And, and as we go down that path, realize it doesn't make sense. We can, you know, shift gears then, then you should, you should try and, and make it sooner rather than later. And then the second lens is just, have I, you know, am I at that 70 or 80% mark? You're probably never going to be at the 100% mark of what information. But I think you know, one of our other core values is work, work smart. Um, you know, you got to deliver things in a, in a timely fashion to clients. So if you understand at the beginning, if you define what am I trying, what's this, the purpose of this information? What is the decision I'm trying to make? The more you understand that, the, then you can figure out, well, what's the information that I need that, that really drives this decision? What are the key factors? And once you can figure out those and get that information, there's always going to be other information that can, can bring in nuances um, and, and details to the decision. But if you're addressing the objective, if you're answering the, the key factors um, then you then you can make a decision um, with with the information. That's We're very helpful. Yeah. That's very helpful. So, you know, I
0: gave a little bit of intro of, of your background and your business. Talk to me about your sort of ideal client, if there is such a thing. Like somebody listening to this audience, audio listening to this podcast, curious about what you do or developing a relationship or something. Like, give us some background about Dell and what you specialize yeah. in.
1: So our client, our you know, our clients are engaged in uh, heavily regulated or highly scrutinized uh, industries or or issue you know, policy areas, and they and they want to make sure they understand that full landscape of stakeholders um, that are going to engage in their those policy issue debates that impact their business objectives. Um, so uh, you want because once you understand that landscape of stakeholders and who you can engage with and whose efforts are going to be, you know, uh, in opposition to your own, then you can then you can form a strategy to achieve those business objectives with this, a minimum of disla- um, delay and disruption. Uh, so we do a lot of work in the energy space, you know, um, healthcare, life sciences is a big space as well. Uh, financial services, uh, you know, navigating tra- trade and sanctions issues. Uh, we also do a lot, a fair amount of work with uh folks themselves- folks that find themselves in a a reputational crisis uh either of their own making or as somebody else's um and and help them find that that path back to um you know a more you know uh more calm waters for their their brand um and company
0: fantastic so tell us how you got here like go through the the jeff background how did you end up from being born to doing what you're doing now,
1: yeah. So I came to Washington and and uh, you know was engaged in politics. Spent time you know spent time in in the campaign world and and in government. Uh, you know worked had the opportunity to work on uh, a number of, of presidential campaigns and and campaigns that at other high levels at some of the the you know national party committees and organizations. Uh, and then ser- served in the the White House uh, for President Bush, and then in State Department. Um, and at the White House, I ran the research operation. Our our job was essentially to to uh, vet the potential political and reputational risks of everything that was going go to go onto the President and Vice President's calendar. Um, you know, everything from where, what. Would uh, organizations was he recognizing um, which individuals were staying on stage? Who was greeting him at the airport? Uh, who was participating in the roundtable discussions or whatever other events? Uh, you know, he's not flying to a factory to talk about how great the economy is, and then you know, two you know two weeks later they're uh, announcing layoffs at the factory. Any of that kind of, of fun stuff. And so it gave me a great lens of. Um, how to understand what could be a potential potentially problematic associations. Um, And um, then when I, I left uh, my last position uh, with the national party committee, I didn't really have a plan for what was next. Um, And, but people kind of started calling and needing research and more and more, it was companies and associations, industry groups, um, and less of the, the campaign folks. And what I realized was, uh, the kind of information advantage we take for granted in politics and government and the sort of the political apparatus of government, um, to the extent that core companies and and industry groups recognized they needed that there wasn't really anyone built to do it. Um, so we, we sort of forged ahead and about, uh, Four, four or five years after we started taking clients' monies, I admitted I'd started a business. Um, I sought it help, uh, and then when the therapy didn't work, um, you know, I, I forged. Had to figure out what does it what does it mean to to have a business. You know, I'd been in, in campaigns and government. I didn't know anything about business. Uh, stumbled across the Entrepreneurs Organization and, and their accelerator program, um, which we went through, um, and then joined joined EO, and and it really kind of helped solidify my understanding of how do you build a business that's sustainable? um, Right. You have a lot of us, you know, at the firm came out of campaigns where you think in this election cycle mentality, right. You race to the end of the campaign and then everybody gets to sleep for a few months before anyone wants to talk to you. Um, As we like to say, uh, here, our campaign doesn't end. Right. So we've, we've got to find ways to be more sustainable in how we work um, you with each other and with our clients. And, um, yeah it's been a it's been a fantastic journey I have to ask the question which do you enjoy more
0: managing a business or doing the work doing the political research
1: work? um you know that's, you know um I probably would have given you a a different answer you know ten years ago, but you know now I think for me i i'm I enjoy um you know, I enjoy connecting with the clients and the potential clients, and and um, thinking about how do we sort of strategically grow more than doing the day to day work. I'm mostly out of the um, the day to day work with our clients. Uh, you have know, an awesome uh, research director and uh, team managers and senior analysts, um, and they they probably handle handle eighty five to ninety percent of of that stuff. I think that was one of our our. Biggest challenges in our early days was sort of like getting it to that point where I could grow enough to to step back while you know while having you know and the team growing enough in so that they had my confidence that I could um, one of my one of the biggest lessons I had to work on was you know um, especially having done this sort of as a, a freelancer maybe with some subcontractors for a number of years before launching the firm. Is I had I had done all the dumb things you shouldn't do with a client and learn you know learn the hard way and so I I could see the the fail, you know, failure points coming and I had to learn to step back and let the 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 managers learn those mistakes themselves <laughs> and fail a few you know a few times so that they could then grow as as I had um, and see oh that didn't land the way I thought it would and and some of those other you know, those other lessons. Um, and you, so I think they do a great job manager team. I love, love seeing when we, when we're doing good work with the clients and they, um, you know, they, they appreciate it, but I, I really love getting out on the road and we do a lot of, I do a lot of speaking and presentations to, uh, Conferences and associations on, you know, political and reputational risks. Uh, I always encourage them to put me right before happy hour because uh, people usually need a drink after I'm done presenting on what's coming down the pike from Washington uh, and state capitals for their industry. But, uh, you know, it's it's fun to to think about um, how to help businesses grow and scale and be successful in hitting their objectives without getting... Um, you know, hindered by unfairly hindered by stakeholders that don't understand what they're really trying to do, or policymakers that um don't really understand how how um you know commerce really happens in their industry. So what's your number one
0: tip? You're standing on stage, you're giving that presentation, the number one tip you give to your audience about, you know, managing their risk profile.
1: The number one, the number one tip that I usually will give is if you don't have an information advantage, your opponents do, Um, right. You know, knowledge is power. Um, You're not in this day and age, you're not going to stop the conversation from happening. You can only shape and guide it in a way that's positive uh, for your company. And you've got to do that using a base of, of real and true information. Um, The, the idea that you can spin and manipulate uh, your way through this is um, no longer true, uh, if it ever was. And, uh, so if you're going to engage in that conversation, you've got to make sure you're doing so with that information advantage. Powerful.
0: So my curiosity question, what is your favorite, what was your biggest or favorite discovery during whatever, some research project that you were in, you, you came across some information you're like, this is it. Or it, completely shattered your hypothesis. What's that? Yeah. I suspect you've got that story in your pocket. Yeah.
1: I have lots of those stories. I can't tell most of them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I will say, you know, one of my um, favorite things is early on, we had, we were working with a pharmaceutical company and they had, um, they were trying to bring a next generation drug to market that uh, prevented rather than treated a very devastating chronic illness. And um, most of the patient advocacy groups, other stakeholders were, were very excited about this, this development, and this prospect, but there was one group that was very vocally opposed and it was throwing everything into confusion. And so they asked us to help them figure out like, what's going on and how do we overcome this? And we dug into this group and figured out that um, the group, even though it presented itself as this nonprofit patient advocacy group, most of their funding came from providing clinical services for people that had the illness. Mm. So if you were to to prevent people from having the illness, you were going to dry out um, their source of funding. And providing that information, you know to the to the company, to allow them to educate other pa- patient advocacy groups, educate regulators about the real motive behind um, their objections, allowed them to get that drug uh, to market. It's been on the market for about four years now, I think, and it's, it's really revolutionized um, and empowered you know, communities not to have to worry about um, you know, the, this illness and to be able to prevent it from happening. That's wonderful. It's a great story. Um-
0: so, Jeff, going back to the running a business topic, knowing what you know now, what would you give, what advice would you give yourself, you know, back at the early days when you were just thinking about either starting a business or wasn't even on your plate? Like looking back again through your experience, or you're or you're talking to a young entrepreneur or a student, what advice around
1: business leadership would you give them? Um that's a great question. I think about that a lot now, a lot now because You know, I've observed, and I'm sure in your, you know, in your work, you see this a lot, you know, those, uh, second and third, uh, time entrepreneurs, when they're on their second, third, fourth company, they move so much faster, and so much more successful. And it's because they, they figured it out the hard way the first time. Um, and you know, I love what what we're doing. So there's not going to be a second business anytime soon, but I, I've been thinking a lot lately of what, you know, there's a lot of lessons we could learn, um, for you know so how do we sort of reinvent things now and and you know one of the key things i think is um knowing your knowing your financials um is really empowering um you know understanding that cash flow uh early on i was very reticent to to make some of the hiring decisions and uh in you know things that we could invest in for the business that um because I was worried about short-term cash but if I had better understanding of what our cash flow looked like over a longer period of time I would have had I would have had better confidence to make those decisions. And then I would also say the other big thing is um really think about not just where your organization chart needs to be today but where does it need to be in two or three years and get the make sure you're putting people in place, um, that can be that can be in that org chart two or three years from now, um, because uh, otherwise you end up with a team that can't get you to that next level. That's very well put.
0: Yeah, I find that you know the second and third businesses there's just a less emotion tied to it. you know the first one and that was my story too. You know, my previous company, EEI Communications, I was determined to get make this thing successful. And it got us into all kinds of no no places that I, I can't talk about on a recorded microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff, um, tell us how we can find you. So an audience member, podcast listeners yeah. looking to get in touch with you. What's the best best way? Yeah.
1: So visit visit our website. Uh, we're delvedc. Uh, dot com. You can see, see how it's spelled delve right behind me, um, and uh, um, you know you sign up for our. We do a biweekly newsletter um, on some of the political reputational issues we see. Uh, we also uh, have um, uh, more specific industry specific um, analysis analyses that we put out weekly uh, and energy and life sciences industries. Um, so, so if you, if you sign up for, for the, the, the public newsletter and, and, you know, comment that you're interested in the industry ones, we can get you added to those as well.
0: Awesome. So my last question, any favorite business books or leadership
1: books you're reading right now? Um, so I, this on this summer on vacation, I reread uh, Patrick Lencioni's uh, most recent book. Um, I love all of his books, but uh, his most recent book, The Motive, um, I think if you are a leader in a business um, or even in a, a nonprofit organization, um, it's going to really kick your butt. Uh, every time I read it, it kicks me too, because he really talks about um, a lot of um, society really trains us to view leadership as a reward, right? You move up and become a manager and director because you've earned it and you've put in your time. Um, it, but leadership should really be responsibility-based, not reward-based. And it should be because you have a commitment to really help other people uh, grow. Um, you know, his argument is servant leadership is redundant. Um, and, you know, that's an aspiration that I think we all try and live up to. Uh, but it's always a reminder that, um you, you should be showing up for work uh as a leader because of how you can help uh the people you're leading not not because you've earned it
0: that's very powerful and a great great comment to to end on so jeff it's been great having you on the show appreciate your time and uh all the influence you're having out there and uh so thanks again
1: yeah thanks for having me mean, thanks for all of what you do uh, to help entrepreneurs uh, you know I know know your, your leadership in entrepreneur organization very well and in the community so uh, it's great to spend some time chatting with you yeah it's a it's a passion of mine <laughs> Thanks again Jeff
0: and that's a wrap my friends thank you for spending your time with me for show notes and other episodes visit us at impactfulleadershipshow.com One last food for thought. Walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone.